You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire, and we return here for our Taco Tuesday episode. But again, unfortunately, Spencer Schultz cannot be with us today. But do not fret, he will be with us tomorrow. He'll be breaking down some Ravens for us and more draft talk and more of that. But here in this first segment, we're just going to move our Wednesday scheduled programming just up to today, an easy fix. So what we're going to do is we're going to round out the Ravens positional rankings for the actual players on the field. And next week will be our final episode of this series that I've been doing. But so we're going to round it out here with the special teams unit. I'm not going to dedicate an episode to kickers, punters, and long snappers. I could if we're doing preseason, but we're going to stick just with the special teams. And we're going to do it all in one segment here because we're going to have locked on Titans here to talk with us. And that's going to be really fun. Although, unfortunately, maybe not as fun as some of the other ones because we do have to relive that very painful loss in the playoffs. But we're going to get some explanations for it, what the Titans could do better going into next year. And we're going to explain our side of the story a little bit. So here in the first segment, we're going to be talking about the special teams unit's performance in 2019. Spectacular as always. And then in the second and third segments, we're going to be joined by Tyler Rowland of Locked on Titans. So a lot of jam-packed stuff to get into to today. So we're going to jump right in. Of course, remember this episode is sponsored by Built Bar. Be sure to check out BuiltBar.com for all of their amazing offers and flavors. But with all that being said, and of course saying to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens and my personal account at ChaosTricker34, plus tell your friends that we're here. We're providing Ravens content five days a week, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Anywhere there's a podcast, you can find us. Now, we're going to jump into the special teams unit, starting off with the GOAT, one of them at least, in Justin Tucker. Now, Tucker at this point, I think he's already a Hall of Famer, and if not, he is very, very close, and in 2019, just showed why. He is unbelievable, the best in the league, the words to describe him There are many, and they are all very good. Tucker on the year made 28 of 29 field goals. That is a 96.6 field goal percentage. That's the second highest of his career. Only 2016, he had a higher percentage. That year, he had a 97.4 percentage. I mean, just unbelievable. Tucker is is automatic, of course, as they come. Also, he hit on 57 of 59 extra point attempts. And the last two years for Tucker, he has missed some extra points. He's missed three over the course of his entire career. I mean, obviously, the story for him was he hadn't missed an extra point in his first six years in the league. And then in 2018, of course, that missed extra point against the Saints. This is an episode where we're going to be talking about some bad memories for Ravens fans. But that one was his one miss in 2018. And then in 2019, he had two. But that doesn't mean that he had a bad performance at all. The Ravens scored a bunch, so they didn't need him. Again, 28-29 field goals, that's the lowest output in terms of both field goals made and field goals attempted throughout his entire career. Now, the kickoffs were his highest output. He had 106 of those, had 6,646 yards. That is also the highest output of his career. Also, 
57 touchbacks. So that 53.8 touchback percentage, not the highest of his career, but I think that's what Baltimore wanted. Obviously, with the rule that the kickoffs come out to the 25-yard line instead of the 20-yard line, they want to have Justin Tucker kick it, you know, right off in that 5-yard range, 3-yard range, so they have to bring it out. That's where Tucker has been, you know, not clicking on those touchbacks because he can obviously kick it out of the end zone when he wants to. His leg is just so powerful. But Tucker has shown year in and year out he is clutch. He had game-winning field goals against the Steelers and the 49ers. And I mean, the, the list of field goal, the clutch field goals that Justin Tucker has had over the course of his career, it, it is un- it's insane. It's crazy. I keep going to unbelievable because the Ravens have been a kicker factory for so many years. You look at guys like Graham Gano in recent years, you guys like Will Lutz, Kari Vedvik, maybe not a successful regular season guy, but he turned it on in the preseason for Baltimore over the last two years. And again, you know, Eric Costa turning that into what he did, that in itself is pretty impressive. But Tucker, I mean, man, you look at what he has done throughout his Ravens career, Overall, a 90.8 field goal percentage. That is one of the highest marks in NFL history at this point. I'm not going to say it is the highest mark because his career isn't over yet. But if Justin Tucker's career were to end today, I would sincerely put him in the Hall of Fame. Maybe that's a little bit of bias. I don't know. But the numbers back him up. He is a great kicker from 50 yards. He has made 39 of 55 field goals from 50-plus, including in that 2016 year, 10 for 10 from 50-plus. He was 1 for 1 on field goals from 50-plus in 2019, and that's just because the Ravens' offense was so good, and we'll get into that with Sam Cook here in just a second. The Ravens didn't need Justin Tucker, and when you don't need one of the best kickers in the NFL, I mean, (laughs) that's something in itself because, you know, you're kind of leaving that talent on the sideline. But that means you're getting seven points, and that's what the Ravens want. Sometimes the Ravens struggled to score in the red zone over the last, you know, three, four years. That was not the case in 2019, but just to have Justin Tucker as, you know, that insurance policy say they don't get into the end zone, more likely than not, Justin Tucker's going to nail that field goal wherever it is on the field and get them three points. So for the Ravens, Justin Tucker, another phenomenal season in 2019. And then moving on to Sam Cook. Sam Cook is another special teams player for this Ravens team who has been crazy good for the course of his Ravens career. Now, for Cook, he's been in the league a little bit longer than Tucker. He's been in the league since 2006. He just played all of his years in a Baltimore Ravens uniform. But in 2019, by far the lowest output of his career in terms of usage. Only 40 total punts. And for the Ravens, there was a stretch of games where Sam Cook just did not see the field on punts because they just were scoring on every single possession, whether it be field goal or whether it be touchdown. They just could not be stopped. The second lowest output of Sam Cook's career in terms of punts was actually a tie between the 2014 season and the 2018 season where he booted 60 balls. But for the Ravens, only having to punt 40 times, again, that just speaks to the offense and what they were able to do. Sam Cook punted those 40 balls for 1,855 yards. 62 was his long. I mean, that's an average of 46.4 yards per punt. That is pretty good. He is one of the touchback masters, but also one of the pinning inside the 20 and inside the 10 masters as well i mean his ability to put the defense in a good spot by pinning the opponent inside the 20 or inside the 10 
That's what helped the Ravens offense in 2019 do so well. When you look at Sam Cook and what he did for the Ravens in 2019, it might not have been a sizable contribution because of the actual sheer numbers that he put up. But every time he punted the ball, you know, I am confident in Sam Cook and his ability. You know, when the Ravens go into a fourth down situation, I'm confident that the defense, if unless it's at the one yard line of Baltimore and he's punting from his own end zone, the Ravens defense is going to be put in significantly better position than if somebody else was out there. I personally do believe that Sam Cook is one of the best, if not the best punter in the entire NFL and when you look at just how these guys are getting these numbers like this, part of it goes and has to go to Morgan Cox, the long snapper who really doesn't get a lot of credit because, you know, I guess long snappers aren't people too in the NFL. But I personally do believe that long snappers are people too in the NFL. Morgan Cox has been a steady force for Baltimore in his time with the Ravens. Signed with the team in 2012. And for Baltimore, I mean, that steady presence at long snapper is key for them. I don't know how many of those remember Matt Catula, the long snapper for Baltimore for all those years back in the past. He was a steady presence for them as well. Morgan Cox has played in all 16 games for Baltimore in all but just one season. He has been in on plenty of snaps, plenty of, you know, clutch field goals. Very few times do you see Morgan Cox either have a snap mishandled by Sam Cook or absolutely just snap the ball over Sam Cook's head. He does so many things, and he's really that glue that keeps it all together because if that ball is just a little bit behind Sam Cook, if Sam Cook can't handle that ball fast enough on a snap for a field goal, you know, part of that has to do with the long snapper and the ability to get the ball there to help your field goal kicker and the ability from Morgan Cox to get the ball there to help his punter. Morgan Cox has been a steady presence, a steady force. And again, you look at the Wolfpack, I think they're one of the best units. I mean, I think they are sincerely the best special teams unit all in all in the NFL. The Ravens don't need to carry two kickers or two punters or two long snappers or use their center as a long snapper. They have guys who specialize at each position. They have guys who do well at their positions. They have guys who are elite at their positions. So giving a grade to the Wolfpack in 2019, it's going to be an A. It's been an A for a while now. And with the Ravens and their field goal factory, once Justin Tucker and Sam Cook and Morgan Cox move on, that'll be a sad day. But the Ravens, I'm confident, will be able to get that talent back in the form of other really good players. We're going to head into our first break here, but when we return, we're going to be talking with Tyler Rowland of Locked on Titans. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. But before we do that, let's talk about Built Bar once again. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They're tasty and they're healthy. They have 16 amazing flavors. They're covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. They're great for the health-conscious person as well. You can lose or maintain weight while snacking on a delicious treat. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. They have peanut butter brownie and mint brownie as two of their 16 flavors. Eight are chocolate and nut flavor and eight are chocolate and nut free. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back here with this Locked On Ravens and Locked On Titans crossover episode. Kevin Ostreicher from Locked On Ravens here with Tyler Rowland from Locked On Titans and Tyler, I mentioned it a bit earlier. I'm really excited to talk to you today, but 
little bit of me has been dreading this day because we all know what happened in the playoffs, the Tennessee Titans handing the Ravens their loss, ending their 14-game regular season, or their 12-game, excuse me, regular season winning streak. I mean, Tyler, I have to start, first of all, by asking how you are, but second of all, just what went right for the Titans in your eyes against this Ravens team in the playoffs? Uh, I I am doing fantastic, uh, coming off a, a great Titan season. Hopefully, they're able to to build upon that. That's the general feeling around the NFL right now, though. Obviously, is hope, but doing pretty well. Glad to be back on talking with you again. Of course, yeah, I have been looking forward to the conversation because it was such a uh, a great upset win for the Titans, one of their better wins in in franchise history. But uh, I I think that like most things in the playoffs and what most people know, I, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel with my answer. It was Derrick Henry. He just got on a run that uh, I, I'm sure Ravens fans have seen this and maybe they try to hide from it. I understand those feelings, but Titans fans have really uh, reveled in it. There's a, a mic'd up segment where Matthew Judon basically says, I had him in the hole and I just bounced right off him and he just kept going. And it was one of Derrick Henry's long runs that he broke off and almost got to the end zone. And Derrick Henry just kind of transformed into a man amongst boys in the in the manliest of men's sports and, and kind of took over. Ryan Tannehill was devastating when he was asked to be in that game. Uh, circulating around social media in the past couple of days has been the 48-yard Khalif Raymond touchdown. A lot of people forget Ryan Tannehill's uh, immense contributions in that playoff run. Derrick Henry wasn't scoring all the touchdowns. The Titans were often doing the work with the passing game first and then allowing Derrick Henry to kind of take things home and kind of salt things away. So uh, the Titans just played to their formula perfectly and the Ravens weren't able to counter the physicality. And it seems like the Ravens have made moves to, to counter exactly that in the future. So I'll ask you some more about that in the next segment, but yeah, the Titans just played their game perfectly and, and caught the Ravens off guard and it, it resulted in, in them advancing. Unfortunately that they didn't go much further than that losing to the Kansas city chiefs who eventually won the super bowl. But you can't complain from the Titans perspective. You can only hope to uh, continue to build. I'm sure the Ravens feel the same. We both didn't win the championship. Yeah. For, for most teams, it is super bowl or bust. And you mentioned, you know, the Titans playing to their strength. It actually got the Ravens playing, not theirs with the Titans, just completely dominating in the run game. They got out to a lead. The Ravens were forced to drop back a lot. And the Ravens got away from the actual running aspect of their offense that made them so good. And that's not to say if you ask Lamar Jackson to pass the football, it's going to end and result in a loss because that's not the case. He, he progressed so much from year one to year two as a passer. It's part of the reason why he won MVP. But having Lamar Jackson carry the ball 20 times for 143 yards by himself, then only having the other two running backs on the roster who got a carry in Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, they only had nine for a total of 42 yards. That's not going to cut it. it. Greg Roman, I think, just felt the pressure of getting down early, something the Ravens hadn't felt in a while. So that's something that I feel like you mentioned. The Titans played their game, and that's what resulted in that victory yep. for them. But you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, and kind of transitioning into the Titans' offseason moves, they gave him a pretty hefty contract, obviously also franchise-tagging Derrick Henry. Take me through this Titans' offseason in terms of the guys they brought back, the guys they extended, and also the guys they added from outside teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they had to do 
what they did in this offseason, and that's focus on bringing everyone back that they can from the offense to keep continuity from what was one of the more special offenses in Titans history last year, and then also try to get younger on the defense. So uh, I agree with your answer. The Titans kind of got the Ravens out of what they want to do, but similarly, you can get the Titans out of what they want to do if you get up early on them, not because of uh, how much that they run the ball, but because the passing game is so predicated on the run game. Tannehill is great in those bootlegs and play actions, mobile, getting out to the edge of the pocket and finding guys, you know, in the shorter intermediate area so they can get the ball and get upfield and use the run after catch ability. So that's exactly what Tannehill does. And I think from the Titans perspective, although it was a large deal and I understand from the outside that there is some hesitation with someone like Tannehill who maybe hasn't necessarily proven throughout his career he deserves that kind of money but he just fits so perfectly into the Titans scheme and it's a perfect mesh of what he does well and what the Titans want to do and I think that that makes it even with some possible regression it makes it possible for Tannehill to repeat but they added Isaiah Wilson in the draft to try to replace Jack Conklin because they want to run that same exact style that same exact beat you up outside zone scheme and you need big athletic tackles to be able to do that they added a Darrington Evans in the third round from Appalachian State to try to complement Derrick Henry on the defensive side of the ball they're expanding Jeffrey Simmons role sign a, a, a speed guy on the edge like Vic Beasley draft Christian Fulton and I think that all of those things show that they're trying to keep it together on offense they're trying to progress things on defense I'd say it's been a a pretty solid offseason for the Titans and, and trying to keep going what they had last year yeah and you mentioned a little bit of that draft class that's what I wanted to ask you about next obviously taking Isaiah Wilson with the 29th overall pick you mentioned that loss of Jack Conklin how do you think the Titans did in this draft Tyler would you give them an A or what's your grade um, when I did my grades for the show, and I, I still, even after you know a couple weeks of of letting things settle, I still think that that it's a solid B. You could go with a B plus. You know, my opinion. I I obviously want the team to do well, so I think B plus is where I I would go with. But I would understand a B. While I like the draft class, it's possible Isaiah Wilson isn't going to help the team immediately. And if your first round pick isn't going to help the team immediately, then always you're going to get a little bit of a ding from that. Now it worked out with Jeffrey Simmons last year coming back from an ACL tear. He didn't get to play the first six weeks of the season, and things worked out fine. He should be an excellent player this year. But I just think if your first round pick might sit for half a year or a full season to start, that that's going to ding your initial draft grade. But I think Darrington Evans has the ability to compete and help the team contribute immediately. Christian Fulton should be able to play snaps and, and be part of the starting sub package early on as well. And uh, I, I think because you know that you got a Christian Fulton at such a good value, I think Darrington Evans will contribute more than people think. And if Isaiah Wilson does get out on the field and is a starter from day one, well, I think it has the potential to be a, a B plus, A minus class. But really right now, the class and how well it does, because the back end, you had Cole McDonald and Chris Jackson in the seventh round who are just project players. Lorel Murchison along the defensive line will just be asked to be a rotational player, so not too major of an impact early on for him. So I think right now the entire uh, draft class grade really relies upon how quickly Isaiah Wilson can be uh, a contributor and get out on the field as a starter. 
Yeah, you want your first-round picks to contribute immediately. And with Wilson, I think he does have the potential to be that guy on the right side or even, you know, if you want to swing him over to the left side as well, if that's where they desire him to play. But I think that Wilson was a good draft pick for them. And again, I think Kristen Fulton was a steal where they got him. But Tyler, my final question for you before we head into this break is asking you about what you've observed from the Ravens in terms of their offseason. You mentioned that they made a few good moves, maybe to counter the Titans and what Derrick Henry did to them. And my philosophy here has been, look, they don't want the Derrick Henry train to ever run through Baltimore again. And I think the moves they've made have have countered that. Based off what you've seen from the Ravens offseason, how would you assess what they've done in terms of taking that next step? In, In my opinion, I look at the game against the Titans and that, you know, devastating loss for the locker room. And I think that the Ravens really took that to heart. I think there were some weaknesses exposed that they didn't necessarily think would hinder them in in such a way. They, you know, the depth in the backfield was something that we talked about in our crossover during the playoffs, but Mark Ingram's injury, I think it's fair to say definitely hindered the offense and what they could do at that time because Gus Edwards just isn't as talented or as versatile of a player. So you get in somebody like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, and now you have much more depth than, than people think you need, but that's what the Ravens do. They stack strength on strength. It's a, it's a valuable philosophy when drafting players, and it's why the Ravens have consistently been a, a competitive bunch since they came into the league. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you saw that you know Derrick Henry obviously was able to beat them up Uh, in the middle with the inside zone on the edges, they needed some more beef and some more strength in the front seven. And I think with their free agent additions, Derek Wolf trading for Calais Campbell, drafting Justin Matabike and really attacking the inside linebacker spot with Patrick Queen and Malik Harris. I was obviously going to ask you about that so you could save, you know, your thoughts for when I ask you about that to open things up on on our other side. But from my perspective, it just seems like they're a smart team. They knew where their weaknesses were. The Titans exposed some of those weaknesses and and like the Ravens always do, they attack that weakness and try to turn it into a strength. And I think that they might've been able to do that in the middle of their defense, but that'll obviously uh, wrap up this first side of our locked on division crossover conversation. We will come back on the other side and I will be asking Kevin some questions about what he thinks about the Ravens off season so far and how that kind of projects into the regular season. We are back here with the second part of our Locked On crossover with our division series taking place this week with the AFC North, and we have Kevin from the Locked On Ravens podcast. Just talk to him a little bit about the Titans. We are going to flip that around, and I'm going to ask him some questions about the Ravens. We just finished our conversation on the front end talking about the Ravens' improvements in the draft on offense and defense. I obviously talked a lot about the interior of their defense and beefing that up, so if you would, just start off giving us your thoughts on how they tried to shore up the front seven and then the additions that they made on offense as well and how you think they'll be able to help the Ravens kind of take the next step coming up this season. Yeah, well, for Baltimore, as you kind of mentioned in our first segment, Tyler, I think that the Ravens weren't expecting Derrick Henry to to do what he did to that defense, especially on the front. And and I think they addressed this offseason. They they attacked it going in and saying, look, we're going to beef up our defensive line. We're going to make sure that when our offense scores points, the defense can hold leads. But on top of that, if the offense is kind of struggling and is kind of at a standstill, 
the defense won't get down to the point where the Ravens have to, you know, abandon their run game and just, you know, air it out. Lamar Jackson in that playoff game dropped back over 70 times. And when a quarterback, you know, Lamar Jackson or anyone is dropping back 70 times, that's usually not a formula for success because you can just call out the plays. Hey, look, it's a pass. It's a drag. It's a comeback. There are a lot of different things that go into that. The Ravens trading for Clayus Campbell, they then sign Michael Brockers, that deal falls through. So they go out and they're not done. They get Derek Wolf to replace him. Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams playing on the field at the same time, while you have two stud nose tackles, that actually created some problems within the Ravens because Brandon Williams is actually a much better nose tackle. Brandon Williams was sliding over to defensive tackle and playing that position while Michael Pierce occupied the nose tackle position. And that, in turn, really hindered the Ravens' ability to get pressure up the middle by shooting gaps and getting you know pressure on the quarterback from the interior while also struggling getting sacks from their outside linebackers as well. So what they did, Michael Pierce walks, he goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Brandon Williams now slides back into the nose tackle position. That's going to help him out a lot. I think he is a much better player at the nose tackle position. Not saying he's not a great defensive tackle, but I think he's going to have improved production. Then you can put Derek Wolf as kind of your smaller defensive tackle, then have Calais Campbell on the defensive end. But they can move all around the field. The Ravens love their versatility. Getting Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison... That's going to allow for them to play more base packages. Tavon Young, the slot cornerback who missed all of 2019 with a neck injury. He is coming back as well. And his addition to the secondary that already has Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, you know, safeties and Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark. That's going to help them a lot. You move over to the offensive side of the ball. And you mentioned the addition of J.K. Dobbins, which, you know, at first I was just kind of like, okay, well, Denzel Mims is there, a receiver. Why don't they go receiver? The Ravens, as you mentioned, they want that stacking strength on mm-hmm. strength. Eric DaCosta has said that he wants all four of these running backs and Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill to be active in playing on game days. And that's a matter of keeping them fresh, keeping the defenses on their toes. So when you get to the fourth quarter while the defense is panting and they're all tired out, you have a fresh running back no matter who it is coming into the football game. You had Devin Duvernay. You had James Prochet at the wide receiver position. Marshall Yanda's retirement, it does hurt, but the Ravens have a lot of options on the interior who can replace him, and you're not going to get the production. You're not going to replace that production. But the Ravens got Ben Powers in the draft last year. I think redshirted him and groomed him into that replacement. So I think overall the Ravens are in prime position to take that step next year. Yeah, that that's kind of my next question. You bring that up at the end. You know, uh, you look at the depth on the interior offensive line. You draft uh, Ben Bredesen. You got a DJ Fluker in there, Andre Smith in there, all who could potentially spend some time at guard if if Powers maybe isn't ready. Do you think that with the additions that they got in the draft, you know, extend this over to the wide receiver position with Prochet and Duvernay, do you think that everything outside of running back and quarterback, do you think that it's enough? for the Ravens to get over that hump and win a Super Bowl. I guess maybe I'm saying that because, in my opinion, I still think that the wide receiver group is a little thin, and on the interior, you know, one of these guys will probably pan out. That It seems like the, the Ravens always have someone who's willing to pan out. So do you think that what they added in the draft is enough on the interior offensive line and at wide receiver, or do you think that maybe they need another draft or maybe with the veteran cuts that always come later in the summer, do you think that they should still look to address those positions? 
I think it's a little bit of both. You make a good point. The receiver room and the interior offensive line room, the the whole offensive line room, for that matter, they're young groups. The stat I keep coming back to is the oldest receivers on the Ravens roster right now are DeAnthony Thomas and Willie Sneed, and they're 27 years old. So the Ravens are going to be relying on young guys like Hollywood Brown, who was playing at 70%. He had two screws in his foot, couldn't run at full speed. He's going to be dangerous in year two. There's no doubt about it. But then you look under him. Is Miles Boykin going to take that next step? The Ravens are relying on him to do that, and they're, they're putting a lot on him to do that. Duvernay and Prochet, are you going to expect big production out of the rookies? Are you going to let them sit back? Well, you can't really let them sit back because there's not a lot of depth in terms of older veteran guys who can step up. You have Willie Sneed. And then on the interior offensive line, I think it's just kind of the wait-and-see approach. Last preseason for the Ravens, they had an opening at that left guard position. They pretty much handed it to Jermaine Illuminor, who was a guard who came out of Texas A&M. They drafted a few years back. He did everything in his power to lose that job. You know, they handed it to him. He didn't do a good job. The Ravens had other candidates. Bradley Bozeman, who was a center at Alabama, he stepped up, worked really hard, became a pretty good guard. The Ravens traded Illuminor to the New England Patriots, and Bradley Bozeman got that job. They have a no-nonsense approach when it comes to players not performing well. Tim Williams, an edge rusher who was had pretty high, hope, high hopes coming into the 2019 season, didn't play well. He was cut in week three after you know being a relatively young prospect. So for the Ravens, I think they're going to also look to veteran cuts. I think, you know, if the trade deadline comes and they still have a pretty young receiver room, they might go out and get an Emmanuel Sanders like the San Francisco 49ers did. I think that could be plausible for them as well. But I think with the depth that they have, even if they don't make another move, which I expect that they'll make a minor one, maybe a medium-sized one, I think they have the depth and I think they have the pieces to, to still take that step, even if they're a little bit young at those two positions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a solid answer. And obviously, uh, the roster is ever evolving and it's never a finished product. So my next question, just at some point, you got to start talking about Lamar Jackson, obviously winning the MVP last year. Hard to go anywhere further up at this moment in time. But I'm sure as a a competitor and someone like Lamar Jackson and his work ethic, he's going to be looking to get better at, at any area he possibly can. So from your perspective, being on the ground, I guess, where does the MVP go from here? What what can Lamar Jackson do to, to get better, maybe even go to another level? What What is it that you think at this moment in time he still needs a, a little bit of improvement even coming off of a historic MVP season? Yeah, for Lamar Jackson, he's going to be focused, and he has been focused all offseason on improving his game, improving his craft. And for me, you know, a stat that people sometimes don't really understand about Lamar Jackson and something they don't know about Lamar Jackson, he was actually the highest rated pocket passer in the entire NFL last year. A guy who, you know, is pretty much lauded as, oh, he's a running back or he he throws on the run really well. But, you know, when he's actually in the pocket and he has to do stuff from the pocket, he's not good at it. Well, that's actually the opposite. I think Lamar Jackson, if he can improve a little bit on throwing on the run, being able to have tight, accurate passes when it comes to, you know, contorting his body and throwing. He can, he can do that. He can do amazing things when he's on the run, especially throwing the football. But I think if he can just take that next step there, also, I believe just the experience. I think Lamar Jackson, he's younger than Joe Burrow at the moment. And, you know, that always, that'll always be a thing. That but is crazy. I think that, <laughs> that is yeah, crazy. With the two years of experience that he has, you know, he came into this league very, very young. 
And you ask a guy to come in, you know, lead a Joe Flacco-centric offense in 2018 that was nothing towards his skill set. He only loses one game and leads the Ravens to the AFC North title. Then the next year, after a 2-2 two and two start, leads them on 12 consecutive wins. Him playing in a playoff atmosphere, you know, that's been the knock on him at this moment. You know, he has proved the doubters wrong that he can play quarterback in the NFL. Now that next step for him is proving the doubters wrong that he can win in those big playoff games. He can he can get in his head a little bit. He is very harsh to self-critique himself. He wants everything to go well for his teammates. For him, it's not about himself. He doesn't care about the MVP. He doesn't care about all these personal accolades. He wants to do everything for his team. And part of that is him just putting a lot of pressure on himself. And that sometimes can get to him, whether it be cold weather, wet weather games, the game against the 49ers. It was a monsoon in Baltimore. I think that goes away with maturation. And with Lamar Jackson, if he can just get over that hump, that, you know, a little bit of a mental aspect for him, I think that he will do wonders in 2020. Well, I, I think that makes sense, and uh, quite frankly, the the losing will give you that experience. I'm sure early on he thought, there's no way I'm losing. I'm going to lead my team. I'm the MVP, and it's kind of a, a reality check when, when you actually do lose, and we will close the conversation where we began the conversation, and that is with that divisional round playoff game. So I guess my question, like you, your last question was my thoughts on the uh, Ravens offseason. We've talked a lot about the Titans. What were your thoughts uh, during that game that the Titans ended up winning? What what was your shock level that at the way that things went, and uh, how worried are you for Earl Thomas after Derrick Henry started the uh, downward ascent of his life, it seemed? Yeah, interesting way of putting that. You know, I, I see the reference there. But you look at what the Ravens had in going into this game. It was really, you know, Ravens were winning this. Ravens were winning that. And then you get into this game against the Titans. And, you know, all of a sudden, you get into this first quarter, first drive for the Ravens and all that momentum. It suddenly stops because, you know, Mark Andrews can't jump high enough. The ball's intercepted. The Titans did a phenomenal job at not letting the Ravens do what they wanted to do. And a lot of teams in the 2019 season, they can't say that. And for the Ravens and their defense in particular, you know, they had a lot of big bodies up front. But obviously, big bodies cannot stop Derrick Henry if they're not tackling. The Ravens had issues tackling for some portions of the 2019 season. And it seems that the game against the Titans, uh, Derrick Henry is a load to bring down just without tackling issues. But it seemed like players weren't, you know, trying to wrap up. As the game wears on, I mean, you mentioned it, Jack, when we talked in January. Derrick Henry gets stronger. And that is certainly what happened in this game. When a guy runs for almost 200 yards, you know, that that's a pretty good indication that you could not stop him whatsoever. And, and something else to go along with that, it seemed like Marcus Peters, who sometimes gets bashed for his tackling, was actually one of the Ravens' better tacklers. I'd say him and Earl Thomas probably had the best defensive performances on that team. The Titans didn't need to pass the ball a lot. You know, it was Ryan Tannehill completing 7 to 14 passes for 88 yards in two scores. That's all they needed to win the game, and they won it pretty handily. Lamar Jackson did everything he could to will this team back to a victory. He, he did not play perfectly. There were some mistakes, but over 500 total yards of offense by himself. I mentioned dropping back over 70 times. It seemed like the only guys on offense to really show up in this game were Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. Willie Sneed also had six catches, but you had Mark Andrews who was injured. You had Mark Ingram who was just coming back from an injury. He couldn't perform well. And I mentioned once the Ravens got down early, something they were not familiar with, 
you know, they just couldn't get back from it because it seemed like they were, it was drop back after drop back after drop back. The defense also, you know, couldn't stop the Titans from scoring. You know, they put up 14 points in the third quarter. That's where I think the game was really lost. And the Ravens couldn't come back from it. Going into next season, I think they kind of have been shaping their roster, you know, to, to combat from these playoff losses. You look two years ago, the the, the Los Angeles Chargers, they performed and they put seven defensive backs on the field. You look to this year, the Titans, you know, they ground and pounded the Ravens defense. They come and the Ravens attack the offseason with, you know, what beat us? How can we get better? You know, we don't we won a lot of games with this formula, but we have to, you know, identify what beat us and get better there. So this Titans Ravens game in the divisional round. It was a shock to many among the Baltimore community. It still kind of stings to talk about because that season, it was just so magical. But I think, as you mentioned, the Ravens are going to have that taste in their mouth and they're they're going to be out looking for revenge. Yeah, it could be something to spur them on to, to greater heights. Well, I appreciate you uh, walking down. I won't call it memory lane. I'll call it a, a dark memory alley, I guess, is probably <laughs> a, a more appropriate visual. But I appreciate you walking down that one more time. One thing I will say, you know, Ravens fans can can uh, have hope because it seems like the roster is getting even better and it seems like what they got going there is sustainable and Ravens will get a, a chance at revenge in week 11 when the Titans and the Ravens do face off in Baltimore. Well, Kevin, it was a great conversation as always. All of our conversations seem to be um, a great time and a good listen. So I, I appreciate you joining me today and uh, I will talk to you again, of course, in week 11 when we actually see this face off. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it, Tyler. Thank you for joining me as well, and another successful conversation is in the books. A big thanks again to Tyler for joining me. I know that might have been a bit painful to reminisce about that playoff loss, but the Ravens, they're going to come back stronger from it, believe me when I say that. But that's all I have for you today, and when we return tomorrow, Spencer Schultz will actually be joining us, and we're going to talk more Ravens football. We're also going to be talking with Locked On Colts, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.